All right, I'm gonna half agree and half disagree with our next guest. So it should be fun. Sarah Rumpf is a contributing editor at Mediaite and Law Crime, and she recently talked about outrage on both sides. Sarah, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. No problem. All right, Sarah, I'm gonna start by reading a paragraph of yours, and then we're going to debate it, okay? So this should be fun. And I'm going to probably mispronounce one of the words, so that's extra fun, okay? So you'll correct me in a second. <laughs> you wrote over and over again, we have this Ouroboros of outrage. That's such a fun word, okay? With one side getting angry about something, distorting or omitting key context, demanding a strong response, while the opposing side gets mad at the outrage, spins up their own outrage and says they're they're being targeted and everyone just screams at each other until the next Dr. Seuss book or Eminem fashion scandal comes along to spark a new battle. And by the way, you wrote that a couple of weeks ago and voila, today we had an Eminem <laughs> outrage story. So about the ginned up yeah. outrage, I couldn't agree more. But it sounds like you're blaming both sides and that I couldn't disagree more with. So, but before we get to any of that, how do you pronounce Ouroboros? I'm pretty sure that's close to correct. Um, that's a figure from Greek mythology, and that's the snake that is biting and eating its own tail, so self-consuming, like eating itself. Um, and that does feel like that—that that does. That's what the, a lot of the news cycle feels like a lot of the time. All right, that's a badass reference. You gain a lot of points for that. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, Sarah, what are we supposed to do? So uh, Tucker Carlson or whoever else it is comes up with something where they're gonna uh, target trans people. And they say, like in fact, today on the show we covered uh, North Dakota's trying to uh, ban people from using their correct names if they're transgender. They want you to use the old pronouns and the old names, otherwise you're gonna get fined $1,500. So there's a proposed bill that hasn't passed. Uh, and then in West Virginia, uh, they're saying that if a transgender person talks to someone in an entertaining way, they might go up to a, go to a prison for a year. Well, am I supposed to say, oh yeah, great, rock and roll? I don't want to participate in the outrage machine. So go ahead and discriminate against people. No, no, and and I don't. I I think maybe there's a misinterpretation of my argument because those statutes are insane. Like I wrote in the article that I think got your producer's attention, um, banning a teenager from seeing a Shakespeare play or watching Mrs. Doubtfire is not reasonable. And the way that they're writing all these laws is completely insane and should be pointed out as such. Um, what I was pointing out in the article was that um, Mehdi Hassan and Parker Malloy were conflating a lot of things at once and the specific Fox News segments and I can, you know, my my email account that I pick on Fox News more than once. <laughs> um, but this specific segment was having a freak out over the specific Joker comet, but attributing all of these plans and legislation and everything to them isn't the, the connection. I didn't think was quite there. And I used to I used to practice law, and my understanding is that you're a lawyer as well. When you have your best argument, you present that first. I, I think it would have been a little more effective to just absolutely ridicule Fox melting down because they couldn't read an eight or 10 page comic. I mean, this was not what they said it was at all. It was a one-off goofy silver age style comic, which 
you know, those are all written in the 60s and 70s. Every bag on one of those comic book writers was high on something. Um, it's supposed to be silly. It's supposed to be absurd. And it's marketed to teenagers. This is not trying to convince your six-year-old to be a transgender whatever commie that Fox News is so worried about all the time. This is a goofy, silly story about a magician and you know casting a spell on the Joker. It had nothing to do with transgender people. He was not pregnant. The whole thing was dumb. Um, I, I just I feel like it should have been a separate conversation. Like analyze these idiotic bills. That's one thing. Make fun of Fox News for trying to gin up outrage over Eminem shoes and dumb comics when they don't even understand what they're talking about. They're they're separate things. That was that was the point. Well, you are all, right. <laughs> yeah. So Sarah, first of all, uh, in terms of making fun of Fox News for their uh, fake outrage, mission accomplished. We also did that on Monday's show, uh, and we had a great time with the Eminem story. Uh, Tucker Carlson doesn't find the Eminem spokes candies sexually appealing enough, so Eminem had to. Uh, oh no! Yeah, had to to restructure their whole marketing campaign so Tucker Carlson could get off on it. Uh, I think that's hilarious. Okay, <laughs> I'm not the one going around going, "Hey, but oh, I want the sexy shoes back on." And I, look, I don't want to know about <laughs> Tucker's foot fetish or whatever the hell else he's got going on and the candy fetish. They're weirdos. Okay. So no problem on making fun of them. Check. We do it every day. No problem. But Sarah, there's a there's a different issue too, though. So as a progressive show, we cared a lot about $15 minimum wage. So we did a whole campaign and we actually got Bernie Sanders to introduce it as an amendment to the original COVID relief plan. That was our audience, thousands of signatures, etc. Made an impact in politics. And then eight Democrats voted against it, and we got them on the record as pretending to be in favor of minimum wage and then actually being against it. You know how much coverage you got? Zero. Okay. Tucker Carlson says, I can't masturbate enough to the MMs. Everybody in the world covers it, and we all have to discuss it for weeks and weeks. And in fact, it changes the Mars company's marketing strategy. So, how the hell do we fix that? You know, I this is something that I've wrestled with myself um, because I I am still digging into. I, I live in Florida, um, and Ron DeSantis's idiotic plan to revoke the Reedy Creek Improvement District at Walt Disney World. Um, actually, analyzing that requires digging into a lot of like obscure paperwork and building codes and tax codes and municipal bonds, and trying to get people interested in those things is a challenge. And trying to get people to pay attention to these things that you know whether you're on the right or left or whatever, there are these issues that affect you and that people, you know, they care about when it adversely affects them. Um, but it is a lot funnier to watch a clip of Tucker Carlson melting down because he thinks that the M&Ms are not appropriately attired. Um, you know, to trying to distill a complicated legal or policy issue into a 30 second soundbite is an absolute challenge. And, you know, <laughs> I, um, you know, I, the only thing I guess no. like we can all try to do is just, I, you know, I, you know I, I don't know. I don't know. No, you're, Sarah. You're absolutely right that it's, 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 a, it's a huge problem. Yeah, so Sarah, look, uh, we've been accused of almost everything in the world, right, at, at the Young Turks, um, except not being entertaining enough. Uh, so we, 
we're, we're engaged in a thousand fights and there's conflicts and there's drama and there's humor and there's everything in the world, right? No, so let me run my theory by you. I think corporate media okay. wants us distracted. And by corporate media, I mean mainstream media acting as good cop, right wing media acting as bad cop. And they're actually working together. So they start a fake fight. Fox News almost always does, the right wing does. Oh, Mr. Potato Head, whoever else, right? Dr. Zeus. Right? And then the mm -hmm. mainstream media goes perfect, right? And they all do this nonsense fight that doesn't affect anything, or, or is you know playing defense against taking away people's rights, etc. Meanwhile, on economic issues, I think they agree on everything. And I think that the distraction is not an accident, I think it's on purpose. And so when you do student debt relief, when Biden suggested that, all of a sudden Stephanie Rule on MSNBC is livid about it, and so is Tucker Carlson, and so is Anderson Cooper. On every economic issue, they all actually agree. Isn't that weird? Well, you know, we have a problem where an awful lot of the media at the big companies, CNN, Fox, MSNBC, Washington Post, New York Times, all those, the, the big, big label ones um, come from, you know, they might have different diversity boxes checked, but as far as socioeconomic status goes, they all went to Ivy League schools. They're all from very wealthy backgrounds. Um, a lot of them are, you know, very blessed to be in a generational wealth sort of situation. Um, and you see that same thing with Congress. Um, because it is so expensive to live in DC, the vast majority of Capitol Hill staffers are extremely wealthy. Because your choice is, you know, you can't get a Capitol Hill job without a Capitol Hill job. So to get those entry level positions, you either live with five roommates out in Maryland somewhere or daddy pays your rent. So we have the bills being written, researched, reviewed, and studied by people who have never, ever, ever had to worry about do I need to wait to go to the grocery store until my next paycheck clears? We have the news being covered by people who are in that exact same situation. And, you know, it's <laughs> that is that is beyond partisan politics. Um, I have often thought I would love to be able to force the entire um, Every single congressional representative and every single one of their staffers, you know, when was the last time you held off making a big purchase? When was the last time you you delayed going to the doctor? When was the last time you waited to go to the grocery store because of finances? And just just seeing how few people even are able to put even a remote year on 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 that question, if ever in their lives, would be an extraordinarily depressing thing. Yeah, one more thing, Sarah. I, I, first of all, you're entirely right about that. No, no question. And that is part of what forms groupthink. But hiring also uh, forms groupthink. So when you have an extremely wealthy publisher hiring people who think like he does as editors and producers and reporters, hey, look at that. It turns out everybody thinks that and the next trillion dollar tax cut for the rich is perfectly normal. But if we were going to uh, <laughs> do uh, Medicare for all, which every other developed nation on earth has, Oh, how are you going to pay for that? Oh, that's an outrage. That helps the American people. We despise it. So um, I, I just think all of it is theater. And I'll end on this example, corruption. They'll, the, because the group think alone doesn't just answer the fact that they come from wealthy backgrounds. Because corruption is an intensely interesting story in every country. So it, you know, you go to Turkey, Israel, whatever the different places that I've been, etc. Corruption is usually the number one story. People are outraged by it. They don't like it. It drives a lot of like viewership, readership, etc. 
And America is, I would argue, is the single most corrupt country in the whole world because we legalize bribery. You can just hand them the money. You can give them hundreds of millions of dollars, and that's perfectly legal, right? So, and we all know that the politicians work for the donors. That's the most obvious thing in the world. Yet, no one writes about it, and no one ever talks about it on TV. That can't all be a coincidence. So, my point isn't that they wrote a memo about it and that there's some conspiracy. My point is the invisible hand on the market through the processes that you and I have talked about have set this up so that we're all distracted by the M&Ms of Mr. Potato Head while they rob the place blind with their friends in, in Washington. And that both Anderson Cooper and Tucker Carlson, heir to the Vanderbilt fortune and the heir to the Swanson fortune <laughs> are both thrilled with how distracted we are. What do you think? Well, and you know, I you're 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 absolutely right about that. And I will say, um, people, we've got to take care of local media. Um, a lot of times, the the real digging into the corruption is done by local on the ground reporters. An awful lot about what, what we know about the Uvalde shooting is because of great work um, by reporters uh, with the Texas Tribune. Um, and you know, people that were on the ground there and interviewing people and getting in their face with the microphone, um, and you know, even even here in Orlando and and in Florida, a lot of the stories that are really important have been covered by people who are here on the ground, not you know, reporting from New York or D.C. So um, it's something that we've got to invest in. We've got to be willing to subscribe to local media outlets and support them and drive traffic to them, and not just always you know get the news from the from the national stations. Yeah, I used to think the best reporters in the world worked at the New York Times. I now think with a couple of notable exceptions, the worst reporters work at the New York Times. Because the bigger the publication is, the more they have to kiss the ass of the powerful. It becomes a controversial thing to challenge a congressman or a senator or to say that they are corrupt because they took millions of dollars from corporate donors. That's a big that's very forbidden among the giant publications and news outlets. Well, that's true though, it's true. That's why they, you have to go to independent news to get anything that's true. Because the giant media outlets won't print something that's true under penalty of law. So that's why we have the upside down system that we have. By the way, Sarah writes for Mediate, and that's among the reasons why I read Mediate. Because you know, you know, I brought you on here, we agree and disagree on some things I said, and that's what I expected, but, but I, you guys actually do a pretty good job of saying, here's the news, whether you like it or you don't, right? And it's more of an independent outlet. If media gets bigger, there'll be tons of forces. The powerful will then close in and go, nope, don't say that, don't say this. You're gonna get in a lot of trouble if you say that. And you might lose your advertisers if you say that, right? So enjoy working there, because if you go to any bigger publication, <laughs> you're screwed. They'll never let you do journalism. Well, I, I will say I do have to sing the praises of the guy that owns our site, Dan Abrams, because he said multiple times in our staff calls and um, and other conversations and emails, like he wants us to have our own opinion. Just click that opinion tag, and we've never had any sort of viewpoint dictated to us. He just wants us to be able to back up and coherently and logically argue what we're trying to argue. So I, I work with people who are very sincerely devoutly progressive and very sincerely devoutly conservative and all all shades in between. Um, and I, I really like that. Um, I, I've worked some other places that have been more ideologically confined in one way. 
Um, and this is a lot more refreshing. And I feel like it's a check on me too, because if I'm not really doing a good job of dotting my I's and crossing my T's, one of my coworkers will call me out on it. And I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I like and respect Dan. Uh, and funny enough, right now as we speak, as we're taping this interview, Dan Abrams and uh, Senator Nina Turner, who's one of our hosts, does the show on Boss for Us, are talking on News Nation. Uh, so, uh, at least there's some good, like-minded <laughs> folks out there trying to fight uh, for the right things, no matter where they are on the political spectrum. And Sarah Rumpf is one of them. Uh, so check her out on Mediate and Law and Crime. Sarah, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. All right, who's going to be the next United States Senator from the state of California? That's Diane Feinstein's seat. Is it going to be Katie Porter? Is it going to be Adam Schiff? Is it going to be Barbara Lee, Ro Khanna, Gavin Newsom, Diane Feinstein? These are all names that are being mentioned. Sounds fun. They all run. Man, that's a super fun melee. All right, let's talk about it. Uh, Cuomo says, let's get after it. Uh, Joan Grieve, senior US political reporter at The Guardian, uh, joins us now. Joan, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. No problem. So Joan, uh, Adam Schiff, uh, he hasn't declared yet, but we all think it's near 100% that he's running? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, you know, according to some reports, he uh, has already talked to Feinstein in the past month or so, uh, indicating that he uh, does intend to run. He was initially looking at potentially uh, running for some kind of House leadership position, but he uh, decided against that, and it was kind of pretty widely understood that he was choosing to forego that for the sake of focusing on a Senate race. And if he did jump into the race, he would start off with a nice advantage of having about $20 million sitting in the bank. So, you know, it seems all signs seem to point to that he will jump into the race. Yeah, I thought that they were grooming him for Speaker of the House for a while, but then Hakeem made a strong run and he's got a couple of advantages that Schiff doesn't. So Schiff goes to try to run for the Senate seat. Um, so that I get it, I get the politics of it. Uh, so, uh, but talking to Feinstein that you just mentioned there, that's become uh, an interesting uh, part of this story. Okay, so I'll get to Schiff. I'll get back to Schiff in a second. But uh, uh, Katie Porter, who is someone who's actually announced that she's running, I think she's the only one who's announced that uh, she's actually running. I took some heat from Sonny Hostin on, on The View and a couple of the other women on The View. I don't know if anybody else uh, said the same thing, but probably because usually the folks in media have a giant group thing. Um, uh, and they chastised her for not getting permission from Feinstein. Is that a thing? Are you supposed to get permission from the people that you might run against or the seat that you're? Who cares that she didn't get permission from Feinstein? Why on God's green earth would anyone care about that? Yeah, I think that uh, there uh, there was even some uh, kind of, well, I guess I would start off by saying that it's a, I'll use a generous word, it is a unique situation because, uh, you know, a, by, Feinstein has not yet officially announced that she's not like planning to run uh, for re-election, but basically, Nobody expects her to run for re-election. You know, she doesn't hasn't been fundraising at all, and so usually, if you're an incumbent who is planning to run again, you are like aggressively raising money so that you can be in a better position when you do run again. She, if she were to run again, she would be 91 years old on election day in 2024, and so nobody really expects her to run again. And yet, there is this sort of almost kind of like kind of you know walking on eggshells type approach about about entering the race officially 
because it has not been made official yet by her that she is not planning to run again. That being said, you know, I think that Katie Porter made the uh, probably a, a, a potentially wise strategic decision by deciding that she was going to enter the race anyway, because now she can you know, start fundraising more aggressively for the seat. I think she raised something like a million dollars in the first 24 hours after she announced. And you know, you did see some of her potential opponents in the Senate race kind of saying that they were not ready yet to announce. And I think there was some sort of maybe some, you know, potentially some regret on their part that they didn't get into the race earlier. So yes, it is this kind of bizarre dance that's going on right now around the fact that Feinstein has not yet officially announced her plans. Yeah, and you said Schiff talked to Feinstein. That forces us to talk about the elephant in the room, which is what are we talking about when we say talk to Feinstein? Feinstein has massive cognitive issues. We don't know if it's dementia or Alzheimer's or whatever it is, but she literally can't remember from one minute to another. So there is no talking to Feinstein. That's that's nonsensical. So that means there's actually other people making the decision on behalf of Feinstein on whether she runs again, which would be I mean, it's like weekend at Bernie's. It's absurd. It's beyond absurd, right? So that can't happen. Although with the establishment, what difference does it make? All they want is puppets anyway. So, but but who did Schiff actually talk to? Is there like a chief of staff that's actually making the decisions, or is it the Democratic establishment in California? It's a vague group of people. The Speaker of the Assembly in California, Gavin Newsom, because it ain't Feinstein. So who's actually making the decisions? Yeah, you know, I think that that is another. Um, it's another kind of you know, like piece of the of the somewhat you again to use the word unique conversation that's happening around Feinstein because you know there has been some reporting in recent months that she is just uh, that she is not at the she's not performing her like functions in the same way that she was even you know a few years ago and that you know and so that is really kind of like you know casting a certain a certain cloud over the this whole discussion because you know that has to be taken into account to a certain extent right and so you know i think that you know i'm I think that, like you know, it's Feinstein's team has indicated that she is going to make her plans official in the next couple of months. And I think that if she were to announce that she were running again, that would just spark such, I mean, shock, really. Like, I mean, beyond surprise, like true shock that you know, she if she were going to decide to run again. And so, with that in mind, like you know, yes, like there is a certain amount of you know, for because. For Schiff, I think that he kind of views Feinstein as a mentor, so you know he kind of he is approaching this situation differently than a Congresswoman Porter might, or you know Congresswoman Kana might if he decides to jump into the, the into the race. But you know it is you know it, it's sort of a formality that some candidates feel like they might need to go to go through, but. I mean, at this point, it's pretty clear. It's it seems pretty clear what is going to happen from here on out, which is that in the relatively near future, Feinstein will announce that she is going not planning to run for re-election. She will step aside, and then it's going to open, like you know, open the floodgates for all the right. candidates to jump into the Senate race. Yeah, I, I got you. I'm sure that that's going to happen, but I'm trying to get at something different, Joan. So let me run this by you. Um, so I think the establishment has already picked Adam Schiff. And California Democratic Party especially is a machine. And there's usually a central decision behind closed doors. And then they back that candidate 100% to the, you know, to the 
you know, whoever they're running against. I, by the way, I've personally experienced that. I ran for Congress in California 25th District, and Christy Smith was the candidate. And I was, uh, and then I was attacked by every Democrat in California that's in an official position because I had defied the machine, right? Now, this is a great example of it because there is no Feinstein. Uh, we've shown the tapes. Everyone who's talked to her says she can't remember. Schumer will say one thing. She'll say one thing to Schumer. The very next hour, the very next day, she'll say the exact opposite. She clearly cognitively does not exist. That means the machine is making the decision, and that means the machine has picked Adam Schiff. So Katie Porter will not just be running against Adam Schiff, she'll be running against the entire California Democratic Party, is what it appears. What do you think of that? Well, I think that you know, even with I, I think that it's I think it's really I think it's fair to say that I think that Schiff is going to have a lot of establishment backing. I think that that is very fair to say. You know, he's been around for a long time. He's you know been you know in Congress. He's like you know very deeply involved with the Democratic Party in California and nationally. And he has you know he's been you know you know he is a pretty prolific fundraiser and you know he is a national figure. All these things. So. Yes, I think it's fair to say that he has a lot of, you know, establishment support going into this. That being said, you know, you know, Porter has like, you know, like you know, she, you know, I, I would say that it's not like it's going to, it's even though he has all that support, it's not going to be, you know, any a cakewalk for him. You know, like no, this is going to be no, a really hard fought race, I think. No, that's yeah, not what I'm getting like, at. Yeah, I think he's I think Katie Porter is the favorite. Um uh, but that only because it's a Fetterman Connor Lamb situation, right? Uh, because Katie Porter Hopefully, I cross your fingers. Runs more as a populist progressive in the way that Fetterman did, and Connor Lamb was backed by the entire establishment in Pennsylvania, but got his ass kicked anyway. But but let's not like I feel like people are pretending that there isn't a machine and that it didn't back Schiff, but there is. The establishment is backing Schiff. The like there's no chance the establishment is going to back Porter or Connor. Or, or, but that's my opinion. But I'm curious what you think. Am I overstating it, or is that generally correct? Yeah, I mean, I think that I, I do think I. I mean, I would say that yeah, there's definitely a lot of establishment backing going into uh, that. I think will be backing ship for sure, and I think that is fair to say. But you know, to your exact point too, I think that it is. You know, I think that I think that you know Porter and potentially you know some of the other candidates, but you know, and certainly Porter because she is the one who's vision announced. I think that she is going to be, you know, a really like she's going to be a very formidable candidate for sure. And you know, it's like, and not just because of her fundraising, but also because she has like, you know, made such a name for herself, like you know, across like I mean, across the state, across the country. And you know, so like even with that, like even though it is like you know, I think that like I think that Schiff will start off with that, like you know, with a you know the not insignificant like assistance of having so much of the California Democratic Party and the National Democratic Party being like you. He like his ability to you know work so many angles of that is going to really help him help him. But I still you know like to your point, Porter is such a is is going to be a pretty strong candidate. And also you know when we think about some of the other potential candidates like Barbara Lee or Rokana, you know I think that this you know it's even if he is it does have that even if Congressman Chip has that benefit, it doesn't you know it will I think it will still be a very interesting race to watch as you said at the beginning because it's you know. He, his candidates, his opponents will have a lot going for them as well. Yeah, so Joe, I'm curious what your take on this is. I like Katie Porter and Rokana both. I'm a progressive, I don't hide that. Um, so, um, but from your perspective, 
does Porter have the advantage or no? Hey, you know, she was she's very connected with Elizabeth Warren. Ro Khanna was a national co-chair of Bernie Sanders' campaign. Is that a tie or or not? Well, I think that um, you know, because I'm, you know, we also have the possibility of Barbara Lee entering the race as well. And so I guess, you know, I think that I guess the concern is that, you know, is that, you know, how much is, you know, about like, you know, there, I mean, the there's a there's so many progressives in California, just take the very obvious, you know, and I think that so I think one concern is that like, you know, how much of the uh, for one concern for Porter and for Kana and for Lee, if she decides to enter the race, which she has indicated that she wants to, I mean, how much are they going to end up splitting the progressive vote? I think that that is, you know, one concern in terms of like their in terms of their credentials, though. I mean, like they, uh, you know, they all I think would say they all really have a pretty both like, you know, a very solid pitch to make to progressive voters and also pretty unique pitches in each of their cases. You know, with Porter, you have her, you know, she really is a politician in the mold of Elizabeth Warren, who she, you know, studied under at, uh, at Harvard Law. And, you know, she really, even when she launched her campaign, really talked about herself in terms of, you know, fighting special interests and working for working people. You know, Brokana, definitely a close ally of Bernie Sanders. That will be, you know, really endear him to many progressive voters. And then Barbara Lee, you know, for who has fought against, you know, um, you know, um, you know, tried to, um, you know, argued against uh, big Pentagon budgets uh, for years. You know, voted uh, against the um, Defense Authorization Act all the way back in 2001, I think it was. Uh, and so, you know, she, all of these candidates, I think, have really both, you know, very specific and also very you know, rich, like, uh, argue, like um, pitches to make to progressive voters. And then I think that they just have to make sure that they don't, you know, kind of cut the progressive vote so much that they end up below someone like Adam Schiff. Although that being said, because of California's system, the way that it works is the top two finishers, you know, it will advance. So theoretically, even if they do split the vote, if they, as long as they can stay above whatever Republican candidate ends up winning, one of them will advance to the general election. Yeah, and that's going to be really interesting to watch because a Republican could definitely sneak in there. Uh, if the progressives split up the vote enough, and then you could have the worst case scenario uh, for progressives, which is Schiff versus a Republican, which in my opinion is a Republican versus a Republican, uh, and representing California. And that would be fitting though, because Dianne Feinstein, also a Republican, technically a Democrat, uh, but loves hugging Lindsey Graham and hugging tax cuts for the rich, and has been conservative on almost every issue. And that way, the establishment tricks the voters of California, one of the most progressive states, into picking yet another conservative to represent them. So that's the game that's being played behind the game. We'll keep tabs on it. Joan Grieve from The Guardian wrote about it, and we appreciate you joining us. Thank you, Joan. Thanks so much.